Well, good evening again. I was talking to one of my friends this week. In fact, he's in this room right now. And we were talking about the fact that I parasailed all the way over the entirety of Matthew the first week. And then last week, we did kind of a water ski straight through chapters 1 and 2. And so I was looking for another metaphor to describe what we're going to do tonight. And I said that we're going to slow down the pace just a little bit. And I told him we're going to go through three verses. He asked me if I was taking a page out of Pastor Benji's preaching handbook. I told him, well, perhaps, but you'll have to be the judge if the second stringer can make the big leagues or not. But we are going to slow down because all of the topics we're going to hit tonight are going to be all the way through the entire good news according to Matthew. But right now, let's go ahead and meet the author of our good news in prayer. And Lord, we give you glory. You are great. And thank you so much for Deborah and for her family. And Jesus, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here tonight and see her baptized and uh, Lord to glorify in that. Lord, I pray that you would in fact open our ears. God, I pray that you would forgive us for our sins and you would hide from us the distractions that would keep us from hearing your word so that we will glorify you by hearing and obeying your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Repent for the end is near. This was spelled out in tall letters on a great big board by, held by two men at the side of the road. In a few moments, this car screeched to a halt and yelled out, Go away, you religious nuts, and leave us alone! And slammed back on the gas and drove off in a frenzy. Right around the corner, the roar of the engine became a screech, followed by a crunch, followed by a splash. One guy said to the other, do you think we should have written on our sign, the bridge is out? (laughs) You know what? Nobody likes to have their will crossed. Anybody who has ever had anything to do with two-year-olds know this. Because the two-year-old's favorite word is? That's right. And the 22-year-old's favorite word is? And the 62-year-old's favorite word is? (laughs) None of us want to have our wills crossed, whether we're from age 1 to 100. Now, when toddlers get their wills crossed, they hit. When adults get our wills crossed, they hit harder, just not always with their fists. So, when we get some religious nut come and tell us to repent, to change our minds about whatever it is we're looking at, the first thing we want to do is to speed off in a cloud of dust with a bunch of expletives. How do I know this is true? Well, I'll tell you, 15 years as a pastor and 41 years as a human being. It's not rocket science, is it? But just as such a religious nut is what we are going to talk about tonight. In fact, he's not just any old religious nut. 
John the Baptist or the baptizer, depending on how you want to call him, is the one who is called by Jesus Christ the greatest of all the prophets. Tonight, we're going to step back, as I said, from parasailing and water skiing, and we're going to go under the water a bit. And I'm going to give Pastor Benji a run for his money on slowness by preaching just three verses from the good news according to Matthew tonight. So let's look at our passage. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That is our passage. And it begins, uh, we are going to see as we go through this passage, this idea from the passage. We need to change your mind about how you are living Because God's kingly reign is available to you right now. We're going to unpack every phrase out of that one at a time. Change your mind about how you are living because God's kingly reign is available to you right now. Let's start taking that apart by looking at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now, Matthew specifically calls John a herald. Now, we don't get that because he's preaching is how we translate that. But anybody who would have read this in the first century context would have taken this as some guy who went into the middle of the little village. And usually there was like a platform or at least a hill or something that he could stand on. And he would give whatever message that needed to be given. They didn't have Twitter back then. Surprise, surprise. They didn't have any news channels, so they needed a guy called a herald. And this herald was uh, supposed to give the news. Never was he commanded to be original. He wasn't supposed to be funny. He wasn't even supposed to be intelligent. The only thing that he was supposed to be able to do is read. And that's why the question every time a herald came into town was one of two. What has happened or what's going to happen? Because they wanted to know from the outside world, namely usually the Romans, I guess, or whoever the governor was in that area, what's going to happen. Now, in light of this, one of my favorite old preachers, a guy named G. Campbell Morgan, said this about John the Baptist. He came with no theology, He came with no philosophy discussed. He came with no new cult to introduce. Religious practices is what cult means in that uh, context. He did not come to ask men to consider a position which they could accept or reject as they pleased. He came with a thundering voice of a great inspiration. Repent. Turn from your thoughts. Exactly what Matthew says his main quote was. Verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We're going to spend some time breaking this sentence down starting with 
this word, repent. Oh, I didn't get the notes out. I'm sorry. I even made notes for you guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get them out. Okay, what does repent mean? Repent means to change your mind about how you are living. Repent means to change your mind about how you're living. That's what my expanded version. Now, repentance is an absolutely fundamental of the Christian faith, the Christian belief. And in fact, not only is it absolutely fundamental, not only is it absolutely central about what it means to believe like a Christian, but it's also distinctive. What do I mean by distinctive? Well, what I mean is that no other philosophy or religion in John's day put so much emphasis on changing your mind. Now, you might be able to banter with somebody and they might change their mind about some thing, but it certainly wasn't going to impact how they lived. They didn't expect it to. Now, instead, what did they do? They emphasized rituals. They emphasized sacrifices that would, quote-unquote, make you good with whatever gods or gods you were trying to appease at the moment. But that shouldn't surprise us because very few other religions and philosophy today are interested in repenting either. Instead, we as a culture are interested in psychotherapy. For $75 a session, you can go and tell all your deepest, darkest secrets to a perfect stranger who won't offer any suggestions because he doesn't want anybody to tell him that he needs to repent. But he'll gladly take your $75 an hour. That is exactly the opposite of John the Baptist and of every godly prophet. It was not Jesus' way. It was not Paul's nor Isaiah's nor any of other God's prophets. In fact, the clarion call to repent means to turn away from sin and turn to God. The picture goes something like this. You have something in front of you. We call it a temptation. We call it something that's trying to get you. And you, you look at this, and as I used two weeks ago, my illustration of German chocolate cake, you got this German chocolate cake looking thing in front of you. Maybe it's gossiping about someone who's around you. Maybe it's holding on to bitterness towards somebody that you live with or somebody at work. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, mm, yeah, that looks good. To repent means to change your mind. It means to turn your back on whatever it was you were thinking looked like German chocolate cake and look to God. Because when you look to God's word, when you look to the promises that are for you in Christ, you notice that this is not a German chocolate cake. This is a pile of vomit. This is refuse. This is disgusting. You don't want this anywhere near you. And to repent means to change your mind about that. I don't want that. That's, that's terrible. That is awful. And this turning away from sin and turning to God is always and only the single call of all God's men and women throughout the ages. Because that is the fundamental thing. That's the base thing of what it means to be a Christian. Because when you repent, then you can trust. Now, 
That's actually not too surprising. In fact, what we see is all the way through the Old Testament, over and over and over and over again, God sends these men and women to go out and tell the people to repent. Only this prophet, John the Baptist, the one who is described as the greatest of the prophets, added something that had never been said before in the Bible. Let's look at our quote again. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This idea of the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first thing that we have to talk about is when we say kingdom, we're not talking about a place. Okay? We're not talking about a location. We're talking about God's kingly reign. The first and most important thing we need to understand about the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is that It's not mainly a realm, but a rule, a reign. It is a sphere of influence that both Jesus and Paul make clear belongs almost solely for now in the hearts of the men and women and children who trust God's promises. He makes that clear in Luke 17, for example, when he says, Nor will they say, look, here it is, the kingdom of heaven. Or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's talking about interacting with God's people. And then Paul also says in Romans 14, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and of drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Leon Morris, the funny-looking guy, up there says that the kingdom of heaven points us to God as doing something as actively ruling rather than to an area or a group of people over whom he is sovereign. The kingdom is something that happens rather than some place that exists. Now, this may sound surprising because the way we use this idea of kingdom nowadays But it brings us to the second most important thing that we need to understand about this kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. By the way, just in case you're wondering, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are used interchangeably. And most people think that the reason why Matthew used kingdom of heaven most of the time instead of using kingdom of God was because the Jews around him got squeamish about saying God or about saying Yahweh. They would never, ever say Yahweh. But we don't have that, so we say either one and it doesn't matter. But like I said, the second most important thing to know is that this reign of God in the hearts of believers, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about, is both already and it's not yet. Okay, that's going to be confusing. We're going to have to spend some time on that. Both John, John the Baptist, and as we'll find out in two or three weeks, Jesus, indicate that the kingdom of heaven is available now. It's ready to be entered into, to take part in. The kingdom of heaven is now. But as we are going to find over and over and over as we go through the gospel, the good news according to Matthew... We're going to uh, agree with Dallas Willard who says that the kingdom of heaven, oh, I didn't get that quote up there, is where what God wants done gets done. We're going to work with this and we're going to see how this 
applies in our different lives, in our lives in different ways. But the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done gets done. You're going to hear me say that about a thousand times over the next months. But if that's true, if it's true that the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done gets done, then we have a serious problem right away, immediately, because if the kingdom of God is already here, as both John and Jesus says it is, and the kingdom of heaven is where what God wants done gets done, it doesn't seem like that's true. Has anybody ever experienced that? You ever think, wait a minute, they don't look like they match up yet. And that brings us to the not yet. The kingdom of heaven is not yet here. Which brings us to the last part of verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now we're going to look at that. And we need to repent, for God's kingly rule is available. We're going to... That's going to mean something in a minute. It's available right now. First of all, what does it mean that something is at hand? We have used that phrase, but it's kind of fallen out of favor. We don't really use it every day. But something that is at hand means that it is available to you. It's usable. It's something you can reach and grab and see and use. It's at hand. It's, it's next to you. you. You can even walk over here and grab something because now it is available. So, but then we understand that how it's worded in there, the point of this uh, by, uh, says Craig Blomberg, is that it's drawn near. It's, it's this nearness, it's availability that's right there. And now is the decisive moment of the kingdom's arrival. Now, okay, let's, let's talk about this just for a second. John the Baptist, depending on how you look at the calendar issues, which we're really not going to get into, and if you want to know about calendar issues, what year Jesus came and all that, talk to Pastor Benji. But let's, <laughs> yeah, he just said talk to James, and James is going to say to talk to Ron. You get the idea. But let's say that uh, what's happening here is sometime in the spring of 27 AD. That's one of the options. I'm not saying that it's the right one, but we're going to run with that. So about the spring of 27 AD, John the Baptist comes out and he says, Hey, listen, everybody, God's kingly reign is available to you right now. Okay, so you're entering into this season, if you will, this new paradigm that's going to be beginning at that time. Now, I don't know the last time you guys checked your watch, but it's not 27 AD anymore. We are solidly into this particular time. Um, It is here now. Now, if John and Jesus were preaching about the kingdom of heaven, they're talking about this reality of God's kingly rule. Well, the people who were listening were thinking, you know, that's a little strange. We don't have people running around talking about the kingdom of heaven. But it wasn't really 
foreign because God is called a king in the Old Testament. And not only is he called a king, but he's also called a warrior. So it might be a little strange, but they would be like, okay, we'll run with that. But then when John says, and Jesus repeats in uh, chapter 417, that God's kingdom is at your fingertips. Now, they were getting way out of line. You're saying God's kingly rule is available to you? That is out of line. All right, Lucy, you've got some splaining to do. Because it just wasn't what their thought processes would say. Now let's look at a diagram to kind of explain what's going on. Down here along the bottom of the line with the arrow pointed to the front of the worship center, you have basically history as we know it. And we have these jumping off parts to this line. And we're talking there about this age to come. Okay, because this age to come where God is complete, God's kingdom is completely known everywhere has not really begun to take place yet. So at this first line, the resurrection of Christ, what happens is he jumps up to this age to come and it begins, although not, it's not a dark, solid line. It's just, it, it begins this what we're calling the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Eldon Ladd, when he called it the age to come, he's equating these. If you really want to look at it, I've got the book. But what's going on is now this age to come in which God's kingly rule is going to be felt has begun. That is why at the resurrection of Christ, we see that God's kingly rule now is available. It's at our fingertips. It's something that we could reach into. Now, we are somewhere in where it says the church age. So that's why we're standing solidly on this black line. And we're also standing, those of us who are believers, those of us who have trusted the promises of God in Christ, are also standing on that dotted line. We haven't got to the second up and down line where Jesus comes back. At that point, we will be on one or the other. Those who are trusting in his promises now will be in the age to come. We will be living where what God wants done gets done perfectly. But then the time, this bottom line will continue until one day all that there is left is that age to come, is the eternal state, or what we call heaven. Now, you can look at this diagram in a slightly different way, and then maybe it'll help make sense a little bit to you. Um, When you become a Christian, you've all heard uh, that that is when eternal life begins, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts the promises of God for him in Christ, will have eternal life. And so that life begins the moment the person trusts those promises. They receive the gift of God through Jesus. And at that point, you could say you're standing with one foot on the solid black line 
the world that we're still living in, and the other foot is standing on that dotted line, the, experiencing the kingdom of God, but again, not fully. You're getting that tension uh, of already, but not yet, and so this is now happening. Jesus actually makes this a little bit clearer when he's talking to Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Can you go backwards one slide? Oh, and everyone who lives, whoever lives and believes this shall never die. Now let's go back to that chart, that diagram. I'm sorry, I should have put it up there again. This is the person. What do you mean he'll never die, Jesus? Because whoever's on this solid black line is going to die, right? We all have seen it happen many times. But his real life, his or her real life, is the one that's going to be on the top line. They will be in that kingdom of God, and eventually that is all that there will be. Now, I understand if this is, I'm throwing a lot at you, and this is kind of heavy stuff. That's why I'm slowing down and doing a little bit of scuba diving instead of water skiing here. But we are going to come back to this over and over again because this is one of Matthew's key points. And I'm sure that if you're not getting it right now, come into our room 108 afterwards. You should have seen us last week. We had a little bit of two-on-two action you know, kind of fighting here and fighting there. Come and see it, you know. It's not as good as MMA, but we were doing it, right? So uh, come and talk and we'll do it. But if not, just stay tuned because this is going to be a constant theme throughout the whole of the good news according to Matthew. Now, as we develop this idea of the kingdom of heaven more fully throughout, we're going to see God's power. God's kingly rule. And we're going to see these promises in action in the lives of the people who are walking and talking with Jesus. And the reason Matthew puts them there is so that you can see Jesus interacting with this person. You can see how he answers their prayer, how he meets their needs, so that you and I can know he can do the same for us. Amen? Because when we see it, then we can believe it. Then we can know. Because we find that all of God's promises find their amen in Jesus. And that's uh, 2 Corinthians. Oh, you're awesome. Way to go. You jumped all the way there. Good job, Charles. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Now, here's what I want you to take away from the discussion on the kingdom of heaven tonight, because we hit three big things really fast. So if your head is swimming a little bit, it's okay. We're going to come back. But this is what I want you to take home. Change your mind about how you are living, because God's kingly reign is as close as your fingertips. And it's available to you tonight. Now, 
Matthew himself gives us a glimpse of why John preached this message. He says in Matthew 3.3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. We see here um, that Matthew is fond of quoting Old Testament passages. That's kind of one of his habits. He likes to show off the fact that he memorized all the Iwana verses. Thank you. I needed that. Um, He wants to show his readers that not only did he memorize his Iwana verses, but he wants to show us that Jesus is the coming one who fulfilled all the promises of God throughout the Old Testament. And in this case, Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, is the one who is spoken of in the Old Testament. Now, so what? What do we see? Well, we see that he was the one who was to cry out in the wilderness. We see that in verse 3. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, the voice, I want you to notice something important. It says the voice. What is important is the message, not the messenger. How many here have ever felt a little fearful about telling someone the good news? How many have ever wondered, "Mm, I, I really don't want to stand up and say because they'll laugh at me or I'll say something and they'll ask me a question I won't know the answer to. How many have ever been there? Man, do I need to talk about lying next week? There's about 10 of you didn't raise your hand. We all feel that way. But the fact that Matthew said the voice of one crying in the wilderness, it's the message that's important, not the messenger. It's the message. It's the logos. It's the word of God that is important, not the messenger. Which is, by the way, why you and I can serve as mouthpieces of God. If you had to be perfect before God can use you, God would never use anybody. Now, What is he calling? He's calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I want to focus just for a second on this idea of wilderness. There's a lot of hay that's made about this. But what's important is you and I need to have this wilderness experience. And I don't think I'm stretching it too much to take you to Psalm 63, 1 through 3, where it says, David, the king, writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Did you notice that? In a dry and weary land where there is no water. That is where David is calling out on God. And the reason is, is because when we are feeling sufficient in ourselves, when we're like, oh, I got this covered, And we think, oh, everything's good. I can handle this. We don't need God. We're not looking for God. Instead, we need to get beyond depending on our talents, our strengths, or even worse, depending on our good deeds. 
you are abiding in him because there's nowhere else to abide, if you treat him as he is, the living water, the living bread by which every man should live, if you are in the wilderness like John is in the wilderness, near to the heart of God, you will hear him say, change your mind about how you are living because God's kingly reign is available to you right now. If you are living like this, you will sense that God is with you. Now, when you preach the same message, that this message of changing your mind about how you are living because God's kingly reign is available to you, that is when the Holy Spirit will move and work and change your heart, the friend that you're praying for, his or her heart, your loved one's heart. That is about as great of a commission as you can hope for. Now I want to clean up one last loose end just for tonight, because I know there's a lot of loose ends, but we're going to get back to all these topics in our future sermons. I want to ask, how is it that God's kingly reign is available to me? How is God's power, His reign available at my fingertips? God's kingly reign is available in the form of the promises that are found throughout God's word. God is is telling you, this is what I want you to know, that you know, that you know. So search His Word. Find the promises that are available to you about every aspect of life. And if you're saying to yourself, man, I don't know God's Word as well. How do I find these promises? Call somebody. Call a friend. Call one of us. We'll tell us what area of life you need a promise for, and we'll tell them to you. We have a book over there at the Welcome Center. It's called God's Promises for Everyday Life. Go get it. We're giving them away. Take it. And if you are worried about being anxious, look up anxiety. And it'll give you three or four promises. And if not, talk to Gary Barron. He knows all of them. God's kingly reign is available. It's close enough for you to touch in the form of the Holy Spirit listening, leading you. Listen, I know there's a lot of garbage out there about leading and wondering, oh, am I going to get sideways on this? When you read God's word expectantly, when you read God's word prayerfully, when you pray and not just give God a laundry list of things that you've got to have right now, but you actually spend time praying for the people around you, When you fellowship with other believers and not just talking about how great the Raiders did this morning. Sorry, I didn't smirk. Um, But you really spend time with people. God is more than willing to give you guidance, my friends. And you don't have to get all heebie-jeebie about it. But understand that the Lord wants to give you guidance more than you want it. And lastly, it's available. God's kingly reign is available to you in the form 
of a reason for living more than just biding the time, more than just filling your time with distractions, whether they're football or whatever the other distractions you might have are. God has a purpose for you that is better than all that that you can find on earth. The kingdom of heaven is available to you right now in a with a personal relationship with Jesus. If you are wondering anything about that, I beg you, come over the next months. That's exactly what we'll be talking about as we go through the gospel, the good news according to Matthew. And come and talk to us. Spend time searching for him like David did in the wilderness. Find him so that you will also be able to change your mind about how you are living because God's kingly reign is available to you right now. And Lord, I know that there are many in this room who are on both sides. Some are solidly on the dark black line of this life right now. God, I pray that you would help them to see that you are available to live in them and through them. And Lord, some are standing on both lines, and that's where we want to be. We want to be living in the power of God, and we want to acknowledge that you are the great God who can and will work through us. But Lord, it's still hard living on this earth, and we confess that. I pray that you would speak to us, Jesus, and give us grace so that we will know where you are and where we can join you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.